on our focus on uh, actually our, our theme for this year is spiritual transformation. And this really does come from, again, our view of discipleship, that God promises that he will make us fishers of men, that he is going to be at work in our lives. Now, we know that our lives are constantly changing, uh, especially when, you know, you're my age, you hit our 50s, and a lot of changes are not so welcome sometimes. Uh, we may observe and feel, uh, we really do feel these changes, right? I mean, our eyesight uh, starts to go out, our muscles start to get achy a bit more, our hearing and our memory and all these things, um, you know, start, we can actually notice like physical changes in our bodies. Um, and again, most of these are negative, but it, as I was thinking about this, it really makes me think about um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, where Paul says, even though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed each day. And this idea that, you know, it's really easy to see the outward wasting away. I mean, <laughs> when you get this age, you can kind of feel it, you mourn over it. But the being renewed every day is actually just as real. Um, we notice the physical changes, but sometimes we don't notice the the spiritual changes, and we need to really think about the spiritual changes that God is really bringing into our lives each day, each year, and, and that we can really rejoice in them, just as David was sharing, you know, through the trials, through the struggles, through the tests of our faith each day, each year, God is actually, he's refining, he's designing, he's aligning our lives to be more like Jesus Christ, to be more uh, filled with his love, filled with his mercy, his patience, um, his holiness, uh, this transformation is actually going on in our lives. And we don't even notice it sometimes. And we don't appreciate it sometimes. So the next time you say, I remember when I used to be able to, and we say this, you know, again, when you get our age, you, you'll say that. I remember when I used to be able to do this. Uh, remind yourself also the biblical truth that there are things that you can do now that you could have not, never done before because Jesus is doing a good work in your life. He is transforming you. He's transforming your life right now. We believe that God has plans for our lives, plans for your life, plans for my life. He's making us more like Jesus every day. And we believe that God will always, what he has began, he will always finish. There's no task too daunting. He will finish it. And we want to continue to cooperate with that spirit, uh, with the spirit of God, that there's no sacrifice too great, that we really believe Jesus is worth everything. And so today we're continuing on our study of what it means to be a disciple in 2019. What does it mean to, to, uh, to be this community of grace in a very kind of ungracious world in which we live? I mean, the world, uh, we as Christians, we no longer represent the dominant culture in the United States. I mean, we know that. So what does it mean now to be a disciple in a post Christian society. Now, last week we looked at the disciples' perspective, and we were reminded that we need to really uphold and, and build up this biblical worldview. Now, today we want to look at a disciple's identity. What is our role? Who are we in this world in which we live? Now, the Bible says many things about how Jesus gives us our, uh, a new identity. We're a new creation. We're children of God. We're saints. We're a new priesthood. 
Uh, but the key concept that we want to look at today is the idea of ambassadorship. What does it mean to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ? And so I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And as we read God's word, let's stand together in reverence. These are the words of Paul. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might, we might become the righteousness of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to see what it means to be an ambassador of the gospel, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and, and how this image helps us to, to know how to engage our world for Jesus. And so the first spiritual truth associated with this image has to do with our understanding of God, that God is a sending God. Now, when we think about ambassadors, ambassadors obviously need someone to send them. Now, in Paul's time, ambassadors were very different than ambassadors how they act right now. Because in Paul's time during the Roman Empire, um, Rome actually did not send ambassadors to other countries, right, to, to talk to them. Rome actually sent armies to foreign countries and just said, you know, you belong to us now. Uh, and, and so they just conquered foreign countries. So as an empire, uh, Rome just expanded through this military might. And what ambassadors were in those days is ambassadors were the uh, conquered or to be conquered countries, the weaker countries, the more vulnerable countries, the foreign countries who would know that, hey, there's this, this, this huge power of Rome, they would send ambassadors to Rome to broker a, a, like a peace agreement, uh, to establish some form of a treaty that, that usually involved giving gifts and promises of tribute so that when Rome say, you don't, come, you don't have to come and conquer us, we want to actually uh, have a, a, a treaty with you. And so in the ancient world, um, it was not the greater power that would send ambassadors. It was the weaker nation. And the reason they sent ambassadors was to give whatever they could give and pay whatever price was needed in order to bring uh, peace or to find mercy in the eyes of this greater power. That's how ambassadorship was seen in those days. But, you know, in God's kingdom, we see something a little bit different because what we do is we see instead of these weaker uh, countries coming to, to God, God is the one who is the mighty king, and he is the one who is seeking the weaker people to initiate peace and mercy. He is the one who is paying the price um, for that peace. And so he, God is actively and sacrificially kind of seeking us instead of we seeking him and we paying him. He's paid for us. And so verse 18 says, um, this is, says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. So if you look at the Bible, 
you get this picture of God, that he is the initiator. He is the one who's making the move. He is the one who's on this mission of reconciliation. He is the one who is sending the ambassadors uh, to bring this grace to reconcile a rebellious people. And this ministry of the gospel, he speaks about it in this passage that Christ's death on the cross makes us reconciled to God, that reconciliation involves uh, uh, the, the taking away this rightful punishment that we deserve and, and, and putting on Jesus Christ so that our sins are, it says, no longer um, no longer uh, accounted to us, but are put upon Christ. And the gospel message, Paul says, this is all from God. We are the message because of God's grace. We bring a message because God commissioned us. Uh, we carry out this message uh, because God is powerful. And, and we finish this message, this mission, for the glory of God. So it starts and ends with Jesus. Now, the next thing we want to really look at, which is very important, are the implications of ambassadorship. Why does God use this, or why does Paul use this particular image? Um, how does this picture help us to understand uh, what it means to be a Christian in this world? Now, there are three very important implications about ambassadorship. Number one, ambassadors are very clear about their mission. Number two, ambassadors know the importance of their mission, and number three, ambassadors know the cost of their mission, of this mission, of carrying out this mission. So first of all, ambassadors are very clear about their mission. They know exactly why they're going and what they're called to do. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This is like, Paul is really clear, says, I know exactly what I'm called to do. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what my mission is. You know, a lot of times we, see, we live in a world or in a society that's filled with um, entitlement and wealth. We have this, uh, what I would say, called this mission of me in the world. And basically in the world in which we live, first world, basically first world countries, everyone is about pursuing, like, my mission is to pursue my dream, right? To find my fulfillment, to find my place in the world, how I fit, uh, the, the, the work that's perfect for me, the things that, that I want to do. And so this mission of me, they look for communities, they look for work, uh, they set goals and investments all about this mission. How can I f be fulfilled? How can I find my place where I'm going to, you know, do my best and, and, you know, find who I am? And so this world is filled with people pursuing this mission that's really centered on self. This is the mission of me. It's an alternative kingdom. Now, as believers, you know, we live in this world. And we don't fool ourselves. We can't fool ourselves that, that we're immune to this temptation, right? I mean, we face countless enticements that are pulling us testing us and saying, why don't you put your, your loyalty and, and your mission in something else other than the gospel? Uh, why don't you put your mission in this? Why don't, you, uh, why don't we spend time in taking care of these things, in, in establishing this for who we are and, and what we want to do? 
and, and, and we talk about having a lot of things on our plate, right? We say, well, I have a lot of things on my plate right now, and I just added more things like that. And I, that's kind of an interesting image because that's kind of like I'm feasting, right? I got more things to eat, and it's always a good thing to have more things on my plate. Um, so plate is one thing, but mission is another. We can have many things on our plate, but only one mission, only one thing that God's calling us to. I mean, we have loyalties to many human relationships and human callings and things like that. We've got things we've got to do. We can't just not go to work and stuff like that. Um, but we only have one mission. Uh, the world promises that if we follow its missions, we'll find love, we'll find approval, we'll find acceptance, we'll find fulfillment, we'll find praise. But God, Jesus spoke to us very clearly. He says, in this, you, you can be in this world... But don't be of the world. Uh, we're, we're, our, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Our, 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 our task is the gospel. Uh, you see this thing, right? Not of this world. I finally figured out what this thing was. When I saw it, uh, you know, it's, it's not of this world. Um, this is just really saying we're not of this world. We don't follow the missions that, that this world creates for us. But we follow the gospel. Romans chapter uh, 15 says, My ambition, Jesus, uh, Paul says, My ambition has always been to preach the good news. That, that's always what it's been. Paul says, this, this, is, this, is, this is what our mission is. That our reconciliation is not the end. We say, oh, you know, salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning of our transformation. That we're set on this mission now. To, to participate in the reconciliation of others with God. That's what we're called to do. I mean, ambassadors, we stay focused on the mission. And one of the questions that we need to really ask is, have I been sidetracked? Now, in school, in the workplace, in our neighborhood, with our coworkers, our friends, do they, how do they know us? How do they think of us? Do they think of us or look at us in any other way other than as followers of Jesus Christ? It, Paul was saying, he said, you know, we don't go preaching ourselves. We preach Jesus. But how often do we actually preach ourselves? You know, see, it sounds kind of weird, preach myself, but, you know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, when, when we talk to people, when we say certain things, or when we know certain people are listening to our conversations, what are we thinking about? Are we thinking about Jesus? Are we thinking about, ah, oh, I wonder if this person will respect me. But if I say these things, they'll know that, oh, they'll know more about me than I'm educated, or they'll know that I'm funny, or they'll know that uh, I'm smart, or they'll know that uh, where I went to school, or they'll know that, that I'm not, you know, this type of person or that type of person. And that's really preaching self, right? There are times when I have conversations with strangers and I meet people and people say, oh, when did you meet this person? And, and I'll say some things, and then afterwards I'll ask myself, why did I say that for? What did I give this information for? Did I give this information so that that person, that stranger, will think that I'm this really great guy? Or did I give the information for, for Jesus? 
did I give this information? I'm like, I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, you went to school here? Yeah, I went to school here. Oh, I was in architecture. I did this and that. And then I'll go back and say, yeah, God, why did I say that? You know, of all the things that I could say to a person, why did I say those things? And I, I often ask myself, you know, am I, am I trying to build myself up in front of other people rather than speak about Jesus? And, and that, then this, this, as I was studying this passage, it reminded me, that's really kind of preaching myself. I'm not doing the things that, I'm not saying the things when I have opportunity to talk to people, when I have opportunity to say things. And, you know, it's really bad, but sometimes when I'm talking and I'm thinking, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I think about people around me and what they're listening and, and what they're thinking about what I'm saying to a person, you know. I'll do that. I'll think about, oh, you know, there's people around me. They're listening in on what I'm saying to you, my friend while I'm standing in line you know, to go see this or to do this. And I'm talking and, and I'm thinking, oh, the guy behind me, the guy in front of me, they're listening to the things that I'm saying. So what am I saying that will impress them and, and stuff like that? And, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm just preaching myself. I'm just trying to make people around me think this about me or that about me. And I'm not really thinking about the mission. The idea that, that this idea that ambassadors, our mission is the gospel. It's not us. It's not about, you know, whether I'm going to be able to tell people that, you know, I'm not this way or I'm this way or you should think well of me or you should think I'm a great guy or things like that uh, or you should be impressed by me or you should be impressed by the things I know or you should be impressed by the places that I've gone or the information that I know or, or the fact that I know this and I know that and I can give you advice on this. That's preaching self. And we, we think back and, and really think back and say, you know, all those times when I have conversations to opportunities to introduce myself to new people, to get to know new people, to talk to someone and, and know that other people around me are listening, how often do I take that opportunity and just preach about self? And what is God really asking us to do? He's asking us to, to preach Jesus, to remember our mission, to remember that everything that we say and do should be talking about Jesus and what he means to us and why he's so special and why he's so important in our lives. Now, it doesn't mean we're always, you know, every day we're just talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But what are we saying about ourselves that really does point to, to the idea that, that we love Jesus so much? Um, that that's what's most important to our lives. That that's really the mission that God has called us on. We, we, we don't want to be distracted or sidetracked by any other mission. I feel like in the workplace or when we're with people and sometimes people are talking about, oh, well, I know this, I know that, and all of a sudden inside myself I'm thinking, oh, I want to tell people I know this and I know that too because that's what everybody's talking about and I don't want them to look down on me. I want them to know that I know these things. Then I'm sidetracked, right? 
because I'm starting to follow another mission. Or people are talking about this and that and, 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 and this stuff that they have and that stuff that they have and what they, and I'm like, oh, I want them to know that I know about this and I saw this show and I did this and blah, blah, blah. And again, I'm being sidetracked, pulled away from mission. Or people talking about how much money they make and, and, and what they're thinking about buying and we think about, oh, yeah, I should tell them about, you know, what I have and, and the car that I'm thinking of and, and the, 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 the place where I live. And, and again, it's being sidetracked and pulling us away from, from this mission of the gospel. Or when we're at school and people are talking about, oh, you know, when I have summer, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do that. And, and my parents are going to get this for me when I, you know, get this and that. And we start saying, oh, yeah, well, you know what I'm going to do when I, I'm, my parents, we're going to go to this place over the summer and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and again, the world pulling us, sidetracking us away from saying, this is your mission. These are, this is what you're about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not about competing with all the worldly things that everybody else has. It's really tempting, it's really hard, and I, I know it is, and, and we fall into it every day. But God is reminding us that we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're sent in a foreign land, and we need to remember our mission and, and, and we need to fulfill that mission. That's why we're, we're in this place. That's why we're in this school. That's why we're in this workplace. That's why we're in this neighborhood. That's why we got these friends. That's why, we, that's, that's why we're introduced to this new person or that's, you know, whatever. Uh, we, we remember our mission, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second important thing about mission is that ambassadors understand the importance of the mission Part of being a good ambassador is uh, to be knowledgeable about your audience, to really know your audience, to know who you're going to talk to, to know who, you're, who you need to, to, uh, to, to convince, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to accomplish your mission. And we find that when we come to understand our audience, um, it's not just, it's, you know, for an ambassador, it may be about manipulation like a worldly ambassador, but for a, a, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, it's really about um, compassion. The greater we understand, the greater we have compassion, the greater compassion we have for others. See, because we know ignorance, I mean, we see ignorance all day long on TV, and ignorance breeds racism, right? Ignorance breeds prejudice, ignorance breeds judgment, ignorance breeds disdain, but understanding leads to compassion. We live in a world where there's so many broken people. And they're living in a broken world. And, and, and they're giving themselves to solutions that, that come directly from the lies of the enemy. That's just breaking them more. And, and, and as we see this and as we understand this and as we really come into these lives and really see what's going on. It should break our hearts with compassion. In uh, his book, Christians in an Age of Outrage, which is, is a lot of the material is from this, it says, behind every expression of outrage in our age is a real need, brokenness, and destruction that our message of reconciliation through Jesus is meant to address. People have never been more engaged busy and connected than in this cultural moment. Yet this flurry of activity is a thinly veiled attempt 
to cover a crisis of identity, purpose, and belonging. And he finally says, in a foreign land to which we have been called, there's, it is in crisis of a lost identity, misplaced purpose, and chronic loneliness. See, here in Silicon Valley, we have what I would call the Silicon Valley SV worldview. Um, you know, in Silicon Valley, we try to provide everything for our kids. If you're parents, we try to provide everything for our kids, right? We encourage them in their self-esteem. We say they've got to feel good about themselves. Uh, we provide good things for them. We provide uh, rich experiences for them. We provide skills and education and music and everything. And, and we, we spend all our resources and time to this end to, to, to build these things in their lives, to, to build up a self-esteem so that they will succeed. Now, again, it's not bad, but we need to be careful that sometimes unknowingly we actually buy into this SV worldview, right? We've fallen into some of this idolatry of the world. Um, and, and we begin to encourage this identity that, that is other than Jesus Christ. Um, Stetzer identifies kind of three modern maladies of our time, particularly in the world in which we live. And this again goes to understanding who our audience is, who we're trying to reach. The first one is what he calls a lost identity. And um, he says this, he says, identity has become the one of the primary idols of today. And I agree, I think this is true. Identity has become one of the primary idols of today. In a post-Christian world, the search for meaning and belonging takes on a new sense of importance and urgency. Our culture is fixated on the dual questions of who am I and where do I belong? And I, I, I believe that this is true, that most young people today are saying, you know, who am I? You know, what job is me? What do I want to do with my life? These are questions actually of identity. They're not questions of, you know, what type of work is the most fulfilling or whatever. They just say, you know, what type of work is me? What, what is the place where I belong? You know, and a lot of it is, again, is, is me. Who am I? Where, you know, how do I fit? How does the world think about me? Psychology today, uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, answers to this question you know, of identity. Psychology Today magazine says, uh, find yourself. That's kind of the worldly way of putting it, right? Find yourself, and it says, uh, look at your values, look at your interests, look at the significant events in your life and the things that you like, and that's your purpose, that's your identity. Uh, 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 Forbes magazine says, this is your identity. It says, find your identity and capitalize on it. And I was reading that, just the title tells you what they're thinking of identity. Capitalize on it, take advantage of it. Take your skills and your careers and go as far as you can with it because that's your identity, is what you can do well and then do your best with it and make as much money or be everything you can be. And then science and philosophy, you know, metaphysical, they say, how do I know who I am? So let's sit down and think about that for a long time. Let's meditate on what actually makes a person, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So you, you've got all these ideas floating around of who I am. Uh, uh, what is my identity? And in the world, that, that's all that's offered. Oh, my work. Oh, the things that I have to, the, the, the things that I'm really good at. Oh, I, I can, I have these dreams. That's my identity. But then what happens when those dreams crash and burn, and they do? What happens when uh, uh, the careers fizzle out? 
or we get laid off. What happens when the things that we once found fulfilling are just not enough anymore? And, then, and then, then all of a sudden, identity is like, who am I? Well, you know, where do I belong? I'm lost. I don't know who I am. And, and, and this is the thing. Jesus, we know Jesus gives identity that transcends anything, transcends all the temporal, trendy, cultural identities of this world. We find our, when we find our identity in Jesus, we're loved, we're valued, uh, we're secure because we know that God will not change in how he feels about us. We're empowered because we know that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're safe because the Heavenly Father says, you know, if you're going to get to my you know, to my children, you're going to go through me. So again, this is a sense of we're safe. We can't lose. When we know who we are, when we know who we belong to, it feels good because we know our identity. But, but the world doesn't know. The world says, you know, my identity is this or that. The second malady of our world is a loss of a sense of purpose. In 2015, Microsoft had a uh, study revealed the, uh, studying the effects of digitalized of digital uh, of a digital lifestyle on the at the actual brain, and we've heard this before. It says that millennials now have an attention span of eight seconds. And that's actually one second less than a goldfish. Meaning that if you look at a goldfish, <laughs> if you look at a goldfish for not you know he'll look at you for nine seconds and then turn away. But millennials, you look at them for nine seconds, they they can't even pay attention to you for nine seconds. Um, Time Magazine said 77% of those aged 18 to 24 said there's nothing, when there's nothing to occupy their attention, the first thing they reach for is phone. I, I imagine it's probably higher than 77%. It's probably like 99%. Um, I mean, it's true. When you're waiting in line for an order, what do you do? It's like phone. When you're uh, waiting for a friend to show up, you know, you're supposed to be meeting somebody, what are you doing? You're like on your phone. Um, because you just... What am I going to do? I got nothing to do. I'm going to check my social media. I'm going to check my news feeds. I'm going to play that game. You know, I need, I have, it's my turn. You know, whatever. Um, it's interesting too because we look at uh, they look at young people nowadays, and a lot of young people nowadays they don't have many hobbies. They don't have many goals or personal projects. Why? Because they're so. It's so easy to just say, I don't need something long term. I just whatever is right in front of me right now. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of this world is now distraction rather than purpose. We don't think about purpose. We don't think about, even in a human, like human sense, we say, oh, what's a hobby? What do you want to do? And it's, oh, you know, before it used to be like, oh, you know, I want to learn music or I want to be a basketball player. Or, I want to do these things. I want to, you know, woodwork or whatever it is, like a hobby, something that you really could put yourself into. But you were finding that a lot of young people now don't have these things anymore. Why? Because I don't have time to, to learn a new skill when I can you know, do all these things right away and find something to do right away. Why do I need to think of something long-term? And so that, what that does is it, 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 it starts to create this drift away from this even idea or feeling of purpose, and people start realizing, and then they start sitting around for a while saying, you know what, I have no real purpose in life. I have nothing long-term to look forward to. I've, I've nothing that I really think of in terms of what I, you know, what my purpose in life really is. And, and it's because of all this distraction, because we're so busy saying, oh, well, if I have extra time, I don't have to think about what I need to do or what's important. Uh, I can just get on the phone and, and connect with a bunch of people until I get tired and then I'll find something else to do. Um, 
And so this continual connection is actually pulling us away from a sense of purpose. And, and you have a lot of people in the world right now who are saying, I have no idea what my purpose in life is. That all I do now is just check my phone and check my friends and find out what's the latest trend on YouTube and make sure when I talk to my friends that I know what they're talking about. And, uh, and that's the only purpose I have. And this, this continual connection, what's interesting here, also what he what says in the book is that when we are continually connected through all these devices, it's not really about building relationship. We think it's about building relationship. We think that, oh, when we're connected, we, we, our relationships will grow because we're always connected with each other. But actually, it's not about relationship. It's more about distraction. That when we read these things, when we do these things, we're not really building relationship. We're just glad to have somebody, you know, there. And so we won't really build relationship. Are we really asking relationship questions? No, we're just saying, what are you eating right now? Oh, I'm watching this on TV. Oh, I would choose her instead of him on Bachelor or whatever, you know. Oh, did you see what so-and-so said? Oh, let me send you this thing. Those are not relationship questions. Those are not relationship actions. Those are just distractions. They're nothing. And that's why it feels, it leads to the next thing, and this is the idea of chronic loneliness. And here's the thing is, again, you would think that, that everybody's connected and there's lots of relationships, but actually um, everyone is available all the time in multiple formats, yet feelings of isolation have steadily increased to the point where people of all ages are beset by chronic loneliness. Now, it's this weird contradiction, right? It's like all the venues and opportunities for connection are increasing, but yet loneliness is reaching epidemic proportions. Because we think that we're connected, we think we have lots of friends, we think that we're you know, in, in community with our friends, but really it's not. It's not true relationship. It's not the way in which God had designed for relationships to work. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, falling into this lie of Satan to think that we do have lots of friends who care about us. And we do have lots of friends that we're connected with. We do have a lot of community and things like that. But we actually don't. These are just distractions. I mean, we know what community comes from. We know as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, where relationships flourish. The body of Christ, the community of the church. The community of church is not built on needs. It's not built on fixing one another. It's not built simply on shared interests or shared experiences. Uh, it's built uh, together on Jesus, on his grace, his purpose. The church is a community that is committed to living out the love of Jesus Christ together to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything less than that um, will not fulfill our need for relationship. Secular people, again, he writes, secular people have to choose their own communities and come up with their own practices to make life meaningful. All these communities are merely a substitute and a shadow of the true church. What, hap what happens when a person simply can't make the cut? What happens when a person fails? In a community of believers, um, we are here together because Christ has reconciled us. We're not here because everyone's cool. 
although everyone here is cool. We're not here just because everyone understands me or everyone is just like me. We're here because God is at work. We believe that God is at work making me, making all of us more like Jesus Christ and sending us into the world that needs him. This sense of identity, this sense of of purpose, this sense of community, it's all (coughs) part of the message of the gospel. It's, It's the reason why, the urgency of why we must be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We forget and we think that the world, we look at the world around us and think, oh, they have lots of friends. Oh, they're so trendy. Oh, they know everything. But we, we, we don't see inside the, 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 the loss of identity, the loss of a sense of purpose, the loneliness. And, and, and we don't realize that, that, that they're searching for these things, they're yearning for these things, and they're going to where? They're going to like Satan's lies which just makes things worse. And so it gives an urgency for us as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. This is why we are called, why we must go and share the gospel and and, and do our mission and not be distracted. The last thing is the cost of mission, uh, the cost of mission, that that what it means to, to go to a foreign land, to engage a foreign people. Ambassadors gives this sense that you're not just going out, you know, to wherever you're familiar with, but really going to a foreign land, going to a foreign people uh, to bring a message. If we think about foreign missionaries, uh, when, when David's talking about, you know, going to Cambodia, and we looked at the Gabriels and, and all these other missionaries that, 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 that have gone to overseas, you know, we don't look at foreign missionaries and, and they, they don't insist that they have to stay at home. They don't insist that, oh, you know, uh, I'll go on the mission field, but I have to have the comfort of my own culture, or my own language, or my own food. Uh, uh, oh, I can't go to a place that doesn't speak English. Uh, you know, I've got to make sure that wherever this goes, there's a place that serves good boba, you know, whatever. You can't, you can't necessarily have those things. Foreign missionaries, foreign ambassadors know that, hey, we're sent out on a task where we have to leave our home. We have to leave our country. We have to study a new culture, learn a new language, eat a new food, and get sick, and keep eating it until our bodies get used to that food. Uh, Build bridges so that we can communicate this message and make it accessible to people who need to come and find peace and reconciliation and mercy rather than be destroyed. Now, we may not ever be sent out to a foreign country, you know. But we are Christ's ambassadors. And even here, we're in a foreign land, right? And we're living as, as heaven's representatives in a world that, like, everything in this world is working against Jesus. You really think about it. Everything in this world, everything this world represents is like working against the gospel and against Jesus. And we have to be ready to make the sacrifices that most missionaries already make for the gospel. Missionaries will say, that's part of the program. That's just what it's going to be. You're not going to be the most popular guy in the room. You're not going to be the one that everybody loves and everybody wants to hear from. You're not going to be the one who uh, uh, just has everything that they want or always lives in comfort. 
we're going to be the ones who have to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. That's the cost of mission. That's what we do every day when we go out. We're clear about what we're called to do. We don't make up our, we, we, we don't make up our own mission. You know, the ambassador doesn't go and say, well, you know, this is the message I got, but let me tell you what I wanted to. No. They bring God's message. We have, it's real clear what we're called to do. We bring the gospel. I mean, that's, the Bible just says that. Very clear. We don't make up our own message. We know the importance of this mission. We know it's a matter of life and death. There are people just dying without Jesus. And we know that there's a cost. And so we go out as ambassadors. And I want to uh, go back to this because, you know, we kind of rushed through this last week. But I want to go back to this and say, hey, this is a challenge for the week. To say when we have a conversation, when we meet somebody, when we meet a, a stranger, I know it's a little deep, but ask a worldview question. When we talk with our friends, when we're sitting down, you know, just say, hey, do you ever think about what, purpose, what your purpose in life is? It's like, hmm, you know, I never thought about that. Put that on your, you know, whatever. Do you ever thought about what your purpose in life is? Do you ever feel like you don't know who you are? Do you ever wonder where you came from? Do you, do you ever wonder if there is a God? And see where it leads. And I think even before we ask these questions, think in your mind, how would I answer them? What if somebody asked me this? What if, what if I asked somebody, uh, why do you think you're here? And they give an answer, you know, well, I think I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. Why do you think you're here? Okay, how would we answer? What would we say to that person? How would we say it so that uh, we're not preaching me, but we're preaching Christ? In the gospel. What would I say? What Bible verses could I use that would resonate with someone who's not a believer? How would I say something in a way that my friend or my family would understand? Wow, that's pretty good. I respect that purpose. How would we answer, what does God want? God wants you to be saved. Well, yeah, he wants you to be saved, but how would you share that in a way with a person that you really love so much. You say, well, God, will, God loves you. He wants the best for you. He wants everything that you want. But he's got a different, different way of giving it to you. He wants to give you eternal life. And then go to scripture. Think about how we can answer these questions so that, that even this week, that if we have opportunity to talk to somebody and we, 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 we actually are thinking in our minds, not... Okay, how do I impress this person? Uh, what, do, what is this person trying to get from me? What does he want me to say? How do I make sure that they don't bug me later on? You know, th those are thoughts that, well, I'm sorry, no. I don't think that, but no. we don't think that, but sometimes we do think that, like, okay, how do I, what do I say to this person so they won't bother me anymore? You know, what do I say to this person so that they will respect me and treat me better? You know, we're always thinking those things, right? I'm always thinking those things. But why don't we think about these things and say, what can I say that would start causing somebody to think about Jesus? What, what, what can I say that would start causing people to think about a greater purpose than just what they're doing right now? 
And, and let that be your thoughts as you begin these conversations, as you talk with people. And let, let that be your prayers to say, oh, if I had that opportunity to, to share that with somebody, what would I say that would lead people to, to Jesus? So let's go ahead and let's, let's, let's spend some time in prayer. Let's, let's spend some time really committing ourselves to say, God, when I have conversations this week, How can I really bring those conversations to Jesus Christ? Maybe we already know who we're going to meet this week. And we ask ourselves, God, how can I be thinking about what I can say, what I can do? Because this dear one is so lost. Father, we thank you and praise you so much that you saved us, Lord. We praise you because, Father, you led someone to have the courage and the love to speak the words of truth to us and share the gospel with us, whether it's our parents or a friend or a stranger. Father, we thank you. Father, we pray that you would make us and help us to be ambassadors of, of Christ, to be faithful in the mission that you have given to us. That, Father, that we would uh, live our lives carrying out this mission and that when we're done, we can go home. Go home to be with Christ. And so, Father, we thank you and we pray that even this week, even this week, we would feel a special moving of your spirit and a special filling of, of his courage in our lives and a special wisdom guiding the words we speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.